0: Right now, in, in this day and time, a lot of us binge-watch TV shows. You get into different kinds of shows. Sometimes they're reality shows. Sometimes it's a scripted show. And have you ever done that where you, you kind of love certain episodes where maybe you're waiting on one more episode to come out, and when it happens, you're, you're calling your friends or you're texting and saying, you've got to watch this show. Or maybe, maybe your friends are watching something you've already seen, and you're like, wait till you get to this one episode. It's going to blow your mind. Well, if, if we think of Jesus' life, uh, if this were a TV show, if it were reality TV, this episode is a pretty amazing episode. You would be on the edge of your seat the entire time. And for some of us, if you've grown up in church especially, you are used to some of these stories. You've, you've read this story many times about Jesus calming the sea, and he casts these demons out of the pigs, and into the pigs from this man, and you're thinking, okay, I, this is... This is a crazy story, and we just kind of read through it, though, and we forget that this is true, like this really happened. This was a day in the life of Jesus and his disciples, and so I'm hoping that today you can kind of rediscover this story, and let's put ourselves in the place of the disciples as witnesses of what is taking place here. Uh, we're We're in the middle of a series uh, called Lost and Found. Last week, BP, our, our head pastor, he taught us about the lost generation of Israel that, that wandered in the desert for 40 years. And today, we are talking about, some, some will call him the garrison Demoniac, which is quite a title, but he's the lost man. He's someone that is lost. And there's two places that I want to take you with this today. Uh, we're going to go just two points in the sermon. Uh, a mission to rescue is the first one, and the second is we are rescued. For a mission. Jesus goes on a mission to rescue, and then we are rescued for a mission. Let me pray, and we'll dive into this text. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for loving us. Thank you for letting us be a part of this community. Um, thank you for the Lord's Day, and that we can come together and look into your word. And so help us, Lord, to connect with this story uh, the fact that you came to rescue this man, just as you came to rescue us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, a mission to rescue. The story just starts out very simply. Jesus says to the disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, right, right away, there's no reason given. He doesn't say, hey, there's something that's going to happen here. We really have to go over there. He doesn't give them a lot of warning of what he's going to do. We're not even sure that he, at the time, maybe he had in mind the entire time he was going to meet this man. We're not really sure. There are times that Jesus seems to to know exactly what's going to take place, and there are times he seems not to when you read throughout the Gospels. It's confusing. We know that when Jesus went into the wilderness, right, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And so maybe the Spirit is saying, you need to go to the other side of the lake. But his disciples just do what they're told. They load up the boat. He gets in and they start to go across the lake. Now, many of these disciples were fishermen. They have been on this lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, over and over and over again, right? They're they're seasoned fishermen, and yet we see right away that this storm pops up. This apparently is not unusual in the Sea of Galilee because of the the elevation of the lake. Uh, The winds can come down the mountains, and uh, a storm can whip up quite suddenly, but it is kind of alarming when you see right out of the gate in scene one of this amazing day that they're having that the disciples are terrified because the boat is filling with water this isn't just a normal storm right waves are crashing into the boat and they are terrified now again this could be a show this could be a season just by itself Have you they make movies about storms and ships that weather these things so just imagine this scene you're one of the disciples the boat is filling up you're terrified it's got to be pretty bad for you to be a fisherman and be terrified of this event. And yet, where is Jesus? He's asleep. First, I can't imagine how exhausted he must be to sleep through this storm. That's always been a little puzzling to me, how it is that he is doing that. I think sometimes in the storms of our life, that's the time when we look around and go, is Jesus asleep right now? What, what is happening? This I'm terrified, and I don't necessarily feel his presence. But what does he do? He stands, he wakes up, he stands up at, at, and just and says, stop it. Right? He says, peace be still, is the way it is in most of our translations. But he's just like, stop it. And immediately, the sea is calm. Have you ever been out on a lake when it's really choppy and it's just very uncomfortable? I mean, that's not near like a storm like this is. I, that's the only thing I can compare it to. Uh, but then, I've also been out on a lake when it's like glass, you know, and, you can, and it's just beautiful. And for me, I, I just feel like when he says stop it, that it's like glass. Like it's just calm and perfect. But then when you look at the disciples again who were terrified just moments before, fearing for their life, what is the result of this? The text says they're afraid. They're terrified again. But now they're not scared of the waves. They're not scared of what's going on. They have been with Jesus For a while now, but but it's still kind of early in the ministry and they've seen him do some miracles But they've never seen anything like this They have never seen someone who can just look at the waves And the wind and command it and it does what he says and they're they're pretty shocked by it They're pretty terrified. I was even trying to think can is there is there a modern-day equivalent that I, I can't even think of one That would freak you out in the same way to have someone just stand up and say stop and the very weather stops doing what it's doing and so they're terrified now you get to the next scene and they land and it says immediately again the the, the writers don't always give us a lot of a lot of details about things they kind of jump from thing to thing pretty quickly so it says they land at the other side. We've already had this incredible situation. They've already gone from fearing for their life to fearing Jesus. And it says immediately they are met by a man who is demon-possessed, uh, by a multitude of demons. Now, this would be terrifying. This would be absolutely terrifying. I don't know how many of you grew up. Uh, I grew, I'm a child. Of, I was born in 68, grew up in the 70s. There was a movie called The Exorcist, that is still listed as one of the scariest movies ever, which is about the exorcism of a demon from, from a, a, a little girl. And There's a new movie out right now um, that is called Nefarious, that if you search for that and just watch the clip, I, I could have shown that or a clip from The Exorcist. I would not do that in here because it would scare you to death. It's terrifying to see these images in these scenes. If you just watch the clip of Nefarious, you'll kind of get the willies. I mean, it is, it's like this is, makes you uncomfortable physically to think about that. And so here this, this demon-possessed man immediately approaches. Can you imagine, again, being there in that scene, what you would feel like? You've already been terrified from the sea. Now you're terrified of, of just Jesus is kind of freaking you out because of his power. And now a demon-possessed man comes right at your boat and falls down before jesus and the demons immediately recognize who he is they cry out they call him the holy one and they say what what have you to do with us are you here to torment us are you going to cast us into the abyss so immediately these demons are coming and they're talking to jesus and he asks them their name and they say legion for we are are many. It's ironic that they know exactly who Jesus is when just moments before in the boat when Jesus calmed the winds and the waves he rebukes the disciples because they don't really understand who they're with in the boat and the demons know immediately that he is the son of God and now they're terrified. You're terrified you've been in the boat you've almost died You're terrified of Jesus because of His power. You're terrified because you see these demons, and then the demons themselves are terrified of who Jesus is. There's fear all over this day and this episode. They don't want to be cast into the abyss. Now, the abyss is a a little bit about demons, just in case you you walked in today and you've never been to church. You're like, what is going on in this story? Let me just a demon is a fallen angel. Uh, They're they're servants of Satan. Uh, They're powerful. We do not believe a demon can possess a Christian because a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, demon possession is a real thing. It exists in today's day and time. I have met people who have encountered demon-possessed people uh, at different times. We tend to see it in today's day and age uh, on the fringes of the kingdom of God going forward. So in in the United States, to run into a demon-possessed person, I'm not saying it's not possible, but demons can only be in one place at one time. They're not omnipresent like God is. And so they tend to go to the place of least resistance. And so in a place uh, where they're worshipped or where there's free reign, you tend uh, all of the stories I've heard of demon possession, most of them have been people on the mission field in places like Africa or India, um, places where There is very little presence of God or Christians. Uh, People still do encounter demon-possessed persons today. And so this is what is happening in this situation. And the demons are saying, please don't send us into the abyss. Now, there's a mention of the abyss in, in Revelation chapter 20. The abyss is like a bottomless pit. It's a place of confinement for Uh, For demons and uh, the the language in revelation is very apocalyptic It's very symbolic, but this does appear to be a real place because the demons mention it And they're asking jesus not to throw them into this place So he has this encounter with the demons and it's interesting that the lost man is kind of in the background up until now Right. He's there, but jesus isn't even speaking to him. He's speaking to the demons that are possessing him And I want to just talk about him for a moment, and let's think about the situation that this man is in. Imagine his state. He he is possessed by demons. The demons call themselves legion because there are many. We don't know how many demons there are. A legion of Roman soldiers was up to 6,000 people. Uh, That doesn't mean that's how many there were in him. Uh, Mary Magdalene, earlier in the chapter, it's interesting, there's kind of a throwaway line about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. And so it's not unusual for even more than one demon to possess someone. And so that is the situation. So this man is completely overcome by these demons. the, The passage tells us that at many times the soldiers, in order to control this man, would bind him and shackle him, which means his feet And his hands would have been chained and he would have been placed under guard and that the demons would come on him and he would break free, break the chains, and then they would drive him out into the desert. So when he's been around people, he's been chained hand and feet right now, even as he's talking, is possible that there were there were remnants of the shackles on his wrists or on his ankles as he is there facing Jesus. And by the way, he's naked it says that he he's naked so he imagine meeting someone who's dirty who's chained who's naked and he's been sleeping outside either in the desert in the cold or the heat or he's been sleeping among the tombs the humiliation that you would feel in that nakedness in that the, the fear that you would feel to be so overwhelmed by what was happening in your body and outside of your body. If you read the other accounts of this person, it also said that he would cut himself with rocks and shards of pottery and moan. Can you imagine? We, we think it's scary to walk by a graveyard at night in the United States, in our communities, walking past the graveyard in his area while he moaned and cut himself and screamed. While he laid there shivering, what he's dealing with is unimaginable. Did the demons cause him to cut himself or is he trying to end it all? But they won't let him hit the right spot with the pottery. I cannot even imagine what he is going through. And yet he is just the one that Jesus came to rescue. Listen to this amazing passage from Psalm 139, which we've, we have reference a lot in this church because it's a beautiful psalm where shall i go from your spirit this is the words of david if i ascend to the heaven you are there if i make my bed in sheol you are there sheol is a word that really means the place of the dead and it's not it's not really it really means after you die it's this it's this cold lifeless awful place and that's exactly where this man's bed was If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. That describes his condition exactly. Can you imagine how dark the darkness that he experienced was? But look at verse 12. Even in the darkness, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day for darkness is as light to you. I don't know what kind of darkness that you are experiencing in your life, the things that are, are happening right now, but God, it's not too dark for him to enter into that place. Maybe if you're not experiencing that right now, you know someone. Maybe you've had somebody that you prayed for and you thought, oh, there's no way God can reach them. They are so far from God right now, and maybe you get tired of praying for them and thinking God can break through, but your friend is probably not a naked, demon-possessed tomb-dweller. That's about as far from God as you can be. And yet Jesus is not afraid to move in to that space and to rescue this man. After Jesus cast the demons out of him, verse 35 says this, the people came G- to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Notice that fear comes up yet again. Here we have this man, just like before when Jesus calmed the storm, this man had a tempest of evil inside of him, raging against him, and at the end he is sitting calm as glass at Jesus' feet, Enjoying peaceful serenity, but notice who's afraid. This time it's the people who come to see what Jesus has done. And now they're scared, they're terrified of Jesus. So Jesus went on this rescue mission and he rescued this man for a mission. So we're moving on to rescued for a mission. Why did he rescue this man? Most of the time when Jesus reaches out and saves someone, or we don't necessarily know the calling of why he chooses certain people. Uh, I think Saul, who, whose name changed to Paul, is one of my favorites because you know kind of why he rescued him. Because Jesus tells us in the scriptures that he rescued him to take his message to the Gentiles. Saul was a Pharisee. He was super learned. He, he, he was a Roman citizen. There were so many things about Saul that were very unique that God was just like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm taking you into my kingdom, and you are going to, you're going to write half the New Testament. That's what's going to happen, and we know why he chose him, Um, but this is really a call that God does for all of us. He has a reason that he chose each one of us to be a part of his kingdom. He has things that he's planned for us to do as a part of his kingdom. This famous passage from Ephesians 2, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before the foundation of the world, God looked at you, and he said, I am going to use you. There are things that I have set for you to do. I have given you certain gifts and abilities, and there are certain things that have happened in your life that set you up perfectly for what I want you to do in my kingdom. He did that for Paul, he does that for us, and he did that even for this man. And why do I think that? Well, let's, let's look back at the story. One of the reasons I think that is because of the pigs. We've kind of ignored the pigs up until now, right? Because it's a bizarre part of the story. And I'll tell you, I wrestled with that. Some commentators look and say, we don't know why Jesus cast the demons and the pigs. And I don't know that we can say, but I have a pretty good idea based on the text. Uh, looking at verse 34... When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Then those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. Years ago, when I was in the military, I, I lived in this little town of Catavigno in southern Italy, and I worked shift work, which was just awful, worked all kinds of hours, and I would be up all night working, and, and especially those mid-shifts, which is from 10 o'clock at night to 6 a.m., I'd get home, and about 7 a.m. I'd be getting into bed, and across the street from my apartment in this little Italian town was a slaughterhouse, where they slaughtered pigs. And they've always said pigs are like the smartest animal ever. You know, they're, they're very smart, intelligent creatures. And I'll tell you, they, it's almost like they would pull up the truck and the pigs could smell death, and they would start squealing. I mean, and at 6 a.m. in an Italian apartment with no air conditioning and my window open, I could hear the pigs, let me tell you. They would squeal, and I just had this vivid memory of how loud. I mean, they were two or three blocks away, and I could hear it. So can you imagine... 2,000 pigs running, doing a cannonball off into the Sea of Galilee in order to commit suicide. I think it caused quite a sound, and we know that from the text because it said that people fled to the city and the country, and they told everybody. They told everybody, you got to come see this thing that happened, man. The pigs have all just killed themselves. 2,000. That would be huge, And it says everybody came out. What is going on? First off, everybody lost a lot of money. So they lost the money. They came to see. If he had just healed the man, there would be no ruckus. Sure, rumors might have spread a little bit. But because of what happened with the pigs, everybody in the region knew what was going on. Excuse me. Everybody knew what was happening. And it set the stage. For this man, because at the end of the story, he wants to remain with Jesus. Verse 38 The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much he had done for him. You see, the calling that Jesus has for him, which seems unusual to us, is the same calling that we have. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, prays for us. Listen to how he prays for all believers as he's getting ready to go be with his father. But now I am coming to you, that is God the Father, and these things I speak in the world that they, that is his followers, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I think one reason Jesus didn't allow this man to come back with him was, again, he was in a Gentile region. We have every reason to believe this man whom he rescued was not uh, of Jewish descent. And we know that the church uh, moved on to include Gentiles and Jews, but Jesus over and over again in his ministry said, my calling first and foremost is to the people of Israel. He knew that part of his plan, part of his rescue plan for all of us, was that the church would grow to become worldwide. But his Jewish followers weren't ready for that yet. And he told this man to go and prepare and to share his story. And he's laying groundwork for this region so that when the church starts to expand, everybody has heard. Can you imagine him sitting, hanging out with somebody? Hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. You know, oh, that story sounds ridiculous. Did you ever hear about the pigs? Oh, man, I heard that story. That was me. I was the one. I had the demons inside of me. You see, he's got it just laid out for him, ready to share his story so that he can be on mission just as we are called to mission. Can you imagine the light that he now was in that dark place? How great a darkness were you rescued from? Do you sit at times and roll up your sleeves with the people that you're visiting with and say, look at the scars. Let me show you the places that God has healed me from, the things that he has rescued me from. Because Jesus didn't just go across the sea this one day to rescue him. He came to rescue you and to rescue me personally. The scriptures say that he knows his sheep And his sheep hear his voice, and he knows them one by one. Jesus called you specifically to be his child. He came here not just to rescue a people, he came here for you, and he came here for me. And he saved us for a mission. This man, it's, it, for me to think about him just going alone. He's the only believer in this entire area, this entire region. And it gives me courage when I think about, well, what if my office place is, is I'm the only believer in my office or the only Christian on my sports team or the only one in my school who believes? You know, there's so many opportunities that we have to, to be the only one. And we feel so alone in it. And yet, Jesus is right there with us. Not only that, he calls us to it, to be a part of his mission and to share our scars. Maybe today you're here and you're still in the darkness now. I want to just remind you of that psalm, uh, Psalm 139. No, how, no matter how great the darkness, your darkness is as light to him. And he can rescue you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story that to us seems like a story it seems crazy that so much fear happened in one day so many things that if we were there we would be terrified and yet lord you you did this these things really happened this this is not just a story that someone is telling this is the actual experiences of this and yet lord no matter how great the darkness this man faced or how great the darkness that we face in our lives you face the darkness on our behalf so that we don't have to experience ultimate darkness of separation from you. Lord, thank you for that so great a salvation. Thank you for rescuing us. And Lord, help us to be on mission, to be willing to show other people the scars in our own lives as we carry the message of Jesus to the world. All this we pray in Christ's name.